Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a pattern of chronic complaining as we pick up in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. This time, let's turn to Numbers chapter 11. In reading Numbers 11 through 20, I see a pattern emerging, a pattern of of chronic complaining, as the people are now complaining against the Lord. Inasmuch as God is in control of the circumstances of our lives, any complaining against the circumstances of our lives is complaint against the Lord. If I'm a child of God and been called according to God's purpose, then I must believe that all things are working together for good because I love God. And he promised me and he told me that all things are working together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if I start murmuring and complaining about the things that are transpiring around my life, I'm really murmuring and complaining about those things that God has brought into my life. And thus, murmuring and complaining is really against the Lord. And God looks upon it as such. He looks upon it as as a complaint against Him. And thus, as the children of Israel would murmur and complain, God would become angry with them and several occasions is ready to obliterate them and we find Moses coming in and interceding again, always falling on his face before the Lord pleading, God, don't destroy them. In God's abundant grace, being demonstrated his forgiveness over and over again, We are certainly taught through these passages the long-suffering of God. And that is one of God's characteristics that's part of his nature, which is actually a characteristic of love. In its true sense, the agape love suffers long and is kind, and it is demonstrated no better place than God's dealing with the nation Israel the patience and the long-suffering of God with these people. They can be thankful I'm not God. I surely wouldn't have had the patience and the long-suffering with them that God did have. Now, as we go through these chapters again, it is important that we keep in mind that God is sovereign and he is over all of the circumstances. And there seems to be points where God is just wanting to wipe the people out and Moses is is reasoning with God and comes up with good reasons that causes God to change his mind and not wipe them out. As you read the text, that seems to be what is happening. That seems to be the obvious kind of a thing. God says, stand back, I'm going to wipe them out. I'll create another nation and all. 
And Moses said, Lord, if you wipe them out, then all of the Egyptians are going to say, look what kind of a God they have. Took them out in the wilderness and wiped them all out. And, and the people are going to think that you're a horrible God. So don't wipe them out, Lord. And so the Lord says, all right, you know, and, and, he, and he doesn't wipe them out. Now, I must believe that one of God's characteristics as being God and being divine is that of his immutability, which means that God doesn't change. Now, this is a characteristic of God's nature that is taught in the scriptures. God said to the prophet, Behold, I am the Lord God, I change not. Again, we read that God is not a man, that he should lie, nor the son of man, that he should repent. Hath he not spoken, and shall he not make it good? So we know from the scriptures that God doesn't change. We know from the scriptures that God doesn't repent, which means to change, a change of heart, change of mind. Therefore, in the reading of these passages where there is an, is an apparent change in God's attitude towards the people, we must realize that in, in these senses, God is not the bad guy and Moses the good guy. And God is wanting to wipe them out and Moses intercedes as a good guy. True prayer always begins in the heart of God. And God touches my heart with his purpose and with his desires. And as I begin to understand the purposes and the desires of God, I begin to express them in prayers. You see, this world is in rebellion against God. The world system is in rebellion against God. The whole universe is in obedience to God except for one little part, this little planet swinging around the sun down here in the corner of the Milky Way galaxy. And this planet is in rebellion against God, but God is seeking to bring the planet back into harmony with him that he might bless it and do for it what he's been wanting to do. And in order to bring this planet back into harmony with him, God has captured certain lives, brought them into fellowship and into a relationship with him, and seeks through those lies to touch other lies. In other words, your life becomes God's bridge hold in this rebellious planet. And now God is seeking through you to reach out and to touch other lives. And so he lays upon your heart his will, his purpose, which you express to him in prayer, which opens the door for him to do the things that he is wanting to do but will not do in violation of our free will, which he respects. So actually, the inspiration for Moses' prayer came from God. That intercession of Moses, that whole inspiration behind it was that of God. And it allows then God, in justice, he should have wiped them out. They deserved it. 
but he wanted to show his mercy and his grace, and he needed that excuse. And thus he lays upon the heart of Moses the intercession, which opens the door and gives God the opportunity to be gracious, to demonstrate his long-suffering and his love. So chapter 11 begins with a cycle that we're going to be repeating through the next few chapters. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place burning, Taborah, which means burning, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. All right, you'd think they learned their lesson, wouldn't you? They complain, God's fire burns among them, some of them are destroyed, they cry unto Moses, he prays, God quenches the fire and and. And now, surely you'll learn not to complain. No. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we ate in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And so the mixed multitude that came with them out of Egypt began lusting, desiring after the things of Egypt, after the old life. The mixed multitude were not really full covenant people of God part Egyptian, part Israeli. Not a real commitment to the purposes of God, not a total commitment, but actually coming along for the ride, coming along for the adventure, the excitement. As so many people, there's something happening and they'll just jump in to become a part of it. Sort of on the bandwagon kind of a thing. And now they begin to remember Egypt. Oh, we had so much fish. And those cucumbers and melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. I, I'm getting so tired of this bland diet of, of manna. It tastes the same. And he goes ahead and describes what the manna was like here. Like at the coriander seed. And it had a color of bedillium and... They would grind it up and uh, make little wafers out of it, and it had an oily taste to it. No doubt extremely nutritious, but very bland to eat. And they began to desire after the, the, the things of Egypt. The, 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 the appetite of Egypt was still in their heart. Now, Egypt represents the world, the life of the flesh, which always leads to bondage. And so you remember the bondage that they had in Egypt. The horrible taskmasters that were over them. The tremendous burdens that were laid upon them. Their backs were bent continually under the load. 
In fact, one of the things God said when he brought, brought them out, you'll no longer be bent over, but you're going to stand up straight because they've been bent over with the labors of, of Egypt. Many of the great monuments in Egypt were built by slave labor. And so they forgot the horrors of slavery. And they were only remembered the excitement of their flesh being satisfied with fish, melons, cucumbers. The taste of Egypt was still in their mouth. There are some people who have come to Jesus Christ, but they have what is classified by Christ as a lukewarm relationship, which is the same as the mixed multitude, for lukewarmness is actually an admixture of hot and cold. People who still, though have, they have come to Christ, have the taste of the world in their lives. Longing still for some of the things of the flesh. They have not yet denied themselves, taken up their cross to follow Jesus. They are seeking to follow Jesus apart from the cross, apart from self-denial. And yet there's so much of Jesus in their lives that they can't be fully happy in the world and too much of the world in their lives to be fully satisfied in Jesus. A mixed multitude in the church with a nominal commitment, a surface commitment to the Lord, and yet within their heart the taste for the world. I always worry when a person testifies of the world, his past life, the things he used to do within the world, and there's, and there's sort of a smack of the lips. There's sort of a, 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 well, you can just tell by the way they're testifying. They're relishing the memory of the things that they did rather than looking upon them with horror and abhorring the things of the flesh and the old flesh life. There's still sort of a desire. Jesus said, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I can't stand lukewarmness. He doesn't want your life to be an immixture. He wants your life to be fully committed to him. And ye which are his have crucified the flesh with the desires, the lust thereof. Know ye not that the old man was crucified with Christ? Paul tells us that we've been redeemed and therefore we are not our own. We're to glorify God in our body and our spirits which are his. And yet so many Christians, still the taste of the world within their mouth and the desire for the things of the world are still there. And there hasn't been that total, complete commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. The mixed multitude fell a-lusting after the things of Egypt and they began to spread their discontent among the camp of God. It's amazing how the carnal Christian can spread discontent in the whole body of Christ. No longer are they satisfied with just the word of God, Jesus Christ, that bread from heaven. Now they want more entertainment within the church. 
And it's tragic, the things that the churches are doing today to entertain people, appealing to their flesh, the very thing that God abhors. My old flesh nature, my old flesh life. And as they spread the discontent among the camp of Israel, all of the Israelites began to stand in the tent doors weeping as Moses passed through, heard all this wailing and weeping by these people. And Moses came in before the Lord, and he was, he was really upset. Moses heard the people, verse 10, weep throughout their families every man in the door of his tent. The anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant, and wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all these people upon me? Have I conceived all these people? Have I begotten them that thou should say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father bears a sucking child into the land which you swear to their fathers? Where am I going to get flesh to give to all these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. Lord, I can't take it. I'm not able to bear all this people alone. It's too heavy for me. And if you're going to deal thus with me, just kill me. Wipe me out, Lord. I'm through. I've had it. I'd rather be dead. Man, he really was at the end of his rope. But imagine walking through the camp and the people crying, give us flesh to eat. Well, said, where am I going to get flesh to feed them? Ridiculous people. Lord, I can't take it. I can't stand it anymore. They're not my kids. I didn't conceive them. Why are you laying them on me? The burden's too heavy, Lord. I can't carry it anymore. I'm through. If, you, if this is what you want, then wipe me out. I've had it. <laughs> and so the Lord said unto Moses, Gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that you not bear it thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against the morrow, and ye shall eat flesh, for ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt, therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. But you'll not eat for one day or two or five or ten or twenty, but flesh for thirty days until it comes out of your nostrils, until it comes out of your ears, until it becomes loathsome to you. My wife thinks that God might be a choleric in his reaction to the people's desire for flesh here. Ah, you want flesh? All right. And Moses said, Lord, how in the world are we going to give them that, that much flesh to eat? Shall, do you want us to kill all of the cattle and all of the flocks to feed these people? Lord, are you, are you going to just empty the sea of fish and lay them all here? How are you going to do that, Lord? Why, why should I go tell them that? How, how are you going to do it? And the Lord said, hey, 
Is the Lord's arm waxed short? Hey, that's a good question. Is the Lord's arm waxed short? How big is your God? Isn't it interesting that so many times we do limit God to our own mental capacities? I'm always trying to help God figure out his program so that I can advise him (laughs) on the best way to do things. And so often, I know what God wants to do overall. How's he going to do it? Well, I don't know. Well, if he did this and this and this, then it could happen maybe. So I got it all figured out now in my mind how God ought to work. So my prayers now become direction prayers instead of direct prayers. And I'm giving God directions on how to do his business. But the problem is he doesn't always follow my directions. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Numbers on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Numbers 11 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the good hand of our Lord be upon you to lead and to guide you in his way, that you might walk in his love, that you might be filled with his spirit, and that you might discover what is God's plan for your life. And may the Lord speak to you, and may you be very sensitive so that you begin to understand the voice of the Lord, that you might be led by the Spirit of God. God bless you. May he watch over you and keep you in his love. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through his Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What are the gifts of the Spirit? And how should I respond? It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, 
the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deep and personal relationship with Him so that your life will be transformed. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.